This is Kieran Cuddy with you until one o'clock with news talks on the record. Now, universal basic income. Is that a new idea? I think you can go all, all the way back to Thomas Paine, the rights of man. Remember him, 1797, he first mentioned this. But it has got more and more attention in the last few years, particularly as we come out of financial crisis. At the moment, Basic Income Ireland are hosting events around the country with journalist, blogger and international expert on basic income, Francis Coppola, who is speaking to people about the value of a universal payment to everyone and why it should be adopted in this country. I'm delighted to say that Francis joins me in studio. Francis, uh, good afternoon to you. Uh, You might just start by explaining to people who uh, don't know anything about it. Maybe they've heard the term, but they, they don't understand it. What is a universal basic income? The idea is that everybody, and this is regardless of their means, of their income, should have a basic level of income that is theirs by right, which can't be taken away from them which is simply a floor below which they can't fall. If they were to lose their job tomorrow and lose everything they have, they'd still have the basic means to live. But bear in mind that this is only one of many measures. So you might say, well, it would be ridiculous for millionaires to receive this. And I might say, yes, that's true. So you tax it away at the upper level, don't you? You have a progressive tax system. Okay, so we know what it is then. It's a payment for everyone of a certain value. Why? What's the reason we should do it? I think the reason is really that in a rich Western country, and we are all rich Western countries, nobody should be deprived of the means to live. Nobody should be deprived of basic food, warmth, shelter. No, we could provide those in the form of food stamps and basic housing and basic health care and so forth, and to some extent we do. But giving people food stamps, for example, removes their ability to manage their own lives. So giving people money enables them to manage their own lives. And uh, crucially, among other things, it enables them to do things like looking for work. It's actually very difficult to do if you haven't got any money. But we we already pay people a dole pay, social job seekers allowance or job seekers benefit, whatever. You know, so people do get a a cheque, we'll put it this way, every week from the state, as it is. That's true. But when they start work, of course, it's taken away from them. So they can lose... The incentive not to look for work or not to find work can be quite high. I mean, sometimes we can find the benefit withdrawal creates like a marginal tax payment of approaching 100%. You know, when they're losing one euro of benefit for every one euro they earn, they're having to work, whereas before they weren't working for the same money. It's a huge disincentive to work. Okay, because often what critics would say about universal payment is that, that it's a disincentive to work. You know, that you, you give everyone a bit of money for doing nothing. People will do nothing. I find this bizarre because we aren't, you know, I think people who, who criticise it often miss out the word basic. No, we are talking universal basic income. It is to provide the means to live. It is not to give to enable them to live in luxury. Now, unless you're saying that financial incentives, the incentive to work and earn some more money so that you can have a bit more, so that you can go on holiday, so you can buy some nice things, so you can afford trips to the theatre and things like that. You're saying that financial incentives don't work? I think they do for most people. Most people want a better life. Most people want to improve their lifestyles. Let's compare it then, say, to the, I suppose, the social welfare models that currently exist. And the, the social welfare state at the moment would, broadly speaking, and there's different models within it, you know, see, to redistribute wealth, to create, and you used it as a floor. They would, I suppose, describe it maybe as a social safety net mm-hmm. for people who kind of fall below the cracks to get them back up and working. And then even once they're working, that there are payments 
from fuel allowance to rent supplements to free travel to all these types of things for people who are on low incomes and there's tax reliefs and, and there's no tax to a large degree on people earning very little money. That as well is, is a form of redistribution of wealth so that mm-hmm. those people who are at the lower socioeconomic end are getting something from those at the, at the upper end. You know, w- what's better about the universal payment system than that kind of classic social mm. welfare system? Well, there are two things, really. And the first is, I've already mentioned this, that it is redistribution of wealth. But actually, in the present social security net system, the people who think they're being redistributed from are not, by and large, the very rich. It is the people who are just a little bit better off. And there's huge resentment of payments made to people who are not working or seen in some ways as undeserving. And a lot of that is because those people who are, to use then British Prime Minister's term, David Cameron, hard-working families... Those who get up early in the morning is what our version of the Prime oh, Minister well, we, says. We had, we had a similar thing where so they, they, they look and they see the blinds closed next door just as they're heading off to work. <laughs> yeah, huge, and that's kind of stoking resentment against people who, for whatever reason, are not working. And we are awfully quick to judge why other people are not working and to assume that it's somewhere their decision, it's their choice, and they are choosing to sponge off others who are not very much better off than they are. So universal payments, to some extent, deal with that because you get the payment whether or not you're working. You know, So you haven't got that degree of resentment. And the other issue, really, with the existing safety net, in a way partly because of this problem of resentment and anger against people who are seen as scrounging and shirking, to quote the Daily Mail in the UK, is that increasingly we find that this safety net becomes leaky. So we start picking holes in it. So, for example, we start imposing sanctions upon people who we think are not looking hard enough for work and deprive them completely of the means to live so that they have no money at all. When we do that, we've picked a hole in our safety net. We decide that some particular group of people shouldn't receive any form of welfare benefits because a lot of people resent supporting them and the people who resent supporting them are not the very rich. It's these kind of lower middle income people. What about then if we move a little more right on the spectrum to the Christian democratic model, which would be you've got that social safety net, but for those who are, I suppose, most unfortunate. And then once really people are working they're in the market and it's up to them to kind of engage with the market and the market will find a level for them. They will find a level in the market and everyone off you go and do your own thing. You know, and that social safety net in the kind of the pure Christian democratic model, as you said, it doesn't always exist mm-hmm. that holes get cut in that net. But if it did exist, that there would be something there for those people who, for whatever reason, whether it's true disability or maybe the disability of children they have or whatever it happens to be, that they can't work, that they don't fall into poverty, but that everyone else, once you're working, the government shouldn't be getting involved in kind of redistributing money around. Let the free market decide. Yeah, I keep hearing the free market arguments. And usually when I hear this, actually quite a lot of people who like the free market argument are quite in favour of basic income as long as it's combined with a flat tax system. So there's not too much redistribution going on, but the people right at the bottom are are supported. So, you know, basic income is not actually wholly incompatible with that. I don't think that's the best use of a basic income, though. And I do keep coming back to kind of the political economy of this. So whether you like it, whether you, you know, you may think that we can just simply provide... Sorry, you don't think it's the best use of a basic income to combine it with a flat tax? I don't. Oh, right. Okay. No, I don't. Because it's so widespread. When it's combined with flat taxes, we start getting very high marginal tax rates for people at quite low incomes. And that's not really not really a good argument. Um, so people do start losing quite large amounts of their earned income 
just because of the need to afford the basic income. So I don't think that combining it with a flat tax is so a particular. Continue to system. combine it with a progressive Absolutely. tax system. Absolutely, it needs a progressive tax system, not a flat tax system. Is what you're describing not a version of a wealth tax or a super tax and then just people below a certain income are just getting a top-up from the state? You could regard it like that and I quite like it described like that. I mean, in fact, when I look at basic income and I look at where our society is going, I mean, you know, since since the Second World War, we've been in this sort of massive phase of rebuilding the capital that was so massively destroyed in the conflagration of the first half of the 19th century you know, we're all over the rest of the world, there was this huge destruction of capital and we've been rebuilding that since then. And of course, since the 1980s, we've seen the, the wealth, particularly at the top end, massively increasing. There is an argument now that we've got to a point where we no longer have scarce capital and abundant income as we used to have. We're kind of reversing and going to a period where we have not sufficient productive investment or investments that people that the rich people want to put their money in for them to use up all their money so they're putting it into unproductive things and we've got this huge downwards pressure on interest rates all the time versus constant downwards pressure on wages. So incomes for ordinary people becoming scarce and more and more people becoming dependent upon benefits. So from that point of view alone, I think we should be looking at rebalancing our tax system away from income and towards capital. We should be taxing capital more and income less anyway and that's quite irrespective of whether or not you have a basic income mm. that's i think where we should be going just because of the way in which the, the, yeah. the whole way our society organizes itself is rebalancing but this is kind of counterintuitive because it kind of goes against everything that we've been doing for the last century or more the, the other i suppose the the criticisms you know if we could sit here and just be kind of what mm. about this criticism what about that sure. but i suppose they are worthy of, of looking at the one is the cost you know what i mean as yeah. in if you're if you're going to pay everyone a, a certain amount of money that's going to have to come from somewhere someone's going to fund it from the exchequer any idea of how much it would cost there are a huge range of estimates and i confess to some of the estimates that i've seen they range from some distance below the current unemployment benefit level up to really quite generous, depending on who's doing the estimate. I I think in the United Kingdom, the uh, Royal Society of Arts put some estimates together, um, which was based upon roughly about the current unemployment benefit level. Okay. And they costed that and concluded that it was actually affordable, but as I said, it needed to be combined with a progressive tax system so that you're taxing more at the upper level. Is there a danger with something like this? And you mentioned that like, free marketeers or libertarians, actually some of them will like this idea that they essentially <laughs> it's kind of, it's trimmed down, it's just a basic payment, you don't have huge different levels of allowance with all the admin costs that come with it. Is there a danger then that those same people also would champion, after the fact, a reduction in investment in other areas of public service that essentially, look, everyone now has this bit more disposable income. Let's stop investing in education. If they want a better school, let them pay for the private school. If they want health care, let them buy health insurance. Now they have this money, let them do it. Like If, if that would be the extension of the libertarian mm. argument, wouldn't it? It absolutely is. And in fact, that is the argument of libertarian organisations such as the Adam Smith Institute who do actually support a basic income but off the back of that want to introduce voucher systems for education and dismantle free point of use healthcare. So um, I don't actually subscribe to that because, you know, one possible model for a universal basic income is to combine a payment with some degree of universal services. There have been proposals recently for universal services and I know that, you know, there's growing movement in the United States looking at universal um, single-payer healthcare, simply because 
even with a basic income, you can't guarantee that people will actually spend their money on the things that you think they should spend them on. And the costs for society of having a group of people who, for example, choose not to buy health insurance, choose not to pay for their children's education, and you then end up with a dilemma as a society. Do we provide these people with health care anyway because we don't like people dying in the gutter of treatable diseases? Do we pay for their children to have basic education anyway because we don't want an underclass that's completely illiterate and mm. ends up living probably a life of crime? You know, there is an issue here for society in terms of so the social good of health care and education that maybe override the pure libertarian argument that, you know, everybody should be responsible and manage their, manage their own affairs. And I rather subscribe to that myself because I think that we as a society would still end up paying simply because we don't like to see people suffering like that. There's different places have tried this at different times. I, you know, I was having a look and... Like, I'm not sure about the applicability of some studies that are kind of mentioned. There's one in Kenya that yeah. they talk about. And a big part of the success of it was that, um, and it was one of the founders of eBay, I think, funds it, is that essentially a lot of people then were able to afford to send their children to school, Absolutely. which isn't a problem in Ireland or the UK. Children are going to school, like, by and large. You know, it's, it's not, that's not a big issue facing society, getting them to school, getting them to pay bloody attention maybe when they get in there. Uh, but... Um, are there studies? Because I know the Finnish study is one that people talk about as well. Yeah. But how applicable are they? How much need is there for further studies and further kind of samples to be done? I think there's an enormous need for really good studies in developed countries. I think in developing countries, and you cited Kenya, and that's, a, that's an important study. And there's another very big one, I think, going on in Uganda at the moment. The arguments are different in developing countries, really. And, I mean, there was a, a report by the IMF recently which concluded pretty much that part of the tax implications, which they do have to think about in developing countries, the case for basic income in developing countries is really very strong. It's made, really, partly for that reason that the evidence is that what people spend the money on is sending their kids to school, training, <laughs> shoring up, <laughs> fixing their roofs, yeah. They mend their houses, building community centres and starting businesses. I mean, all of those are immensely productive things. So, you know, the case is kind of made in developing countries where the income is much, much lower. In developed countries, which already have good safety nets, the IMF concluded that, you know, the case was much weaker, really. So their conclusion was that it's countries where the safety net is patchy, as in the United States and now in increasingly in the UK as well, that would really benefit from a basic income. And those like that are more like Scandinavia mm. might benefit less. So it's interesting that it was Finland that tried that, but it was a very limited study. It wasn't universal basic income. It specifically aimed at the unemployed. And the aim of the study was to demonstrate that there were incentives to work when the unemployment benefit is not removed, when people start work. That was the point. And I, as I understand it, they're simply saying they're not extending the study, but they're still going to evaluate the results. Yeah, so okay. we'll see what happens there. Uh, I, I, while you're here, I just want to ask you, because you obviously had a career in banking and there's a, a lot of talk and there is going to be more in the next few weeks about 10-year anniversaries yeah. uh, that we're into and Lehman Brothers and everything. A friend of mine works in Lehman's in, in London when it went Ooh. bust. So the, the morning, his description of it is just brilliant. Basically, his boss was Irish and they all just went for pints uh, while loads of people were crying oh. <laughs> about what happened. Um, <laughs> well, yes, I suppose the pumps must have done quite well out there. I'm sure, sure they did. There's a little it's another kind of microeconomic uh, study to be done there on uh, how much money was made in pubs and restaurants around the, uh, the city of London. 
the day of the collapse. I remember in the in the kind of the weeks afterwards, there was a lot of talk about reform and how a new banking mm. set and already people were talking about you know kind of opportunity in crisis and that we would have this reformed and more egalitarian banking system and that there would be a public banking system in every country like there is in some and Germany has quite a strong public banking system uh, have you seen any of that reform are we back to where we started or what's your assessment of the last we decade we haven't seen any of that kind of reform what we have seen is deep entrenchment of too big to fail because I mean would anybody allow Lehman to fail now no, probably not, no, actually, knowing no. what happened. So actually... Someone would have stepped in. Somebody would step in. They would never allow Lehman to fail now. So actually, I don't think we've seen any of that kind of reform, and I rather regret that. In a way, we kind of moved on. I think what did it, really, was the Eurozone crisis, where suddenly we moved on from reform, reforming the banking system to re- reforming public sector finance and locking everybody into this straitjacket that basically says, oh, it's all about the fiscal... You know, debt to GDP and yeah. deficits and things like that. And that's the number one focus. And I think we that we took a massively wrong turning at that point and missed an opportunity to enact major reforms. Does that mean that the same is inevitable again at some stage? That's an interesting question. I don't think there'll be another major major financial crisis until we've completely forgotten about the last one. At the moment, everybody's looking for the next financial crisis and therefore, in my view, there isn't going to be one. And what I think we do face, though, is a political crisis and I think it's already started. All right, on that note, we'll leave it there. Francis, thanks very much. As I said, Francis is in town for a few events to discuss the prospect of a universal basic income. To find out more, you can go to basicincomeireland.com or you can look them up on Facebook or Twitter. Francis Coppola, thank you very much. Coming up next, we're going to be looking at all the day's sports pages.